Welcome to Bulletproof Business. Bulletproof Business. A podcast about the best strategies for exponential growth, achieving success, and dealing with failure. Hosted by the founders of Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency, John Trusty and Brady Morgan. They seek to bring fresh and eye-opening conversations with successful business leaders to the surface. Welcome to the show. Before we dive into the episode, let's talk about our company, Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency. We do exactly what our name says. We staff business owners with virtual talent so they can grow to the next level. Whether you're looking to offload administrative, creative, or technical tasks, we are your number one solution for outsourcing. Head over to our website, www.vastaffing.agency. Book a call with our team and get started for free. What is up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am one of the hosts of Bulletproof Business with my co-host, John Trusty. Today, we have a special guest, Chris Murdoch. Chris has over 20 years of executive recruiting experience, and he is the co-founder and chief sourcing officer at IQ Talent Partners. Chris, what's going on, man? <laughs> Not much, man. I don't know if I like how much emphasis you put on over 20 years of experience. Hey, we're, we're expecting you to, uh, so, to drop some nuggets, so you better show up and deliver. But before we dive into that, I, I told you about this before we started recording, but the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on, what is it? Okay. There's a couple. Um, oh, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a tough question to answer. It is a tough question. I, I, I would have liked it ahead of time so I could have gotten it written down. But um, uh, I once uh, flew to Vegas like, and, and had like a six hour, just for, just for dumb purposes, just to say I did it. I uh, got a flight to Vegas in the morning and flew back uh, later that night. And it was... I didn't have a plan. I, I gambled a little bit, but then I came home. Like it was, it was the, it was, it was irresponsible. It was dumb. It was a little more expensive than I would have liked it to have been. But yes, that, that was, that was pretty wasteful. Hey, that's, that's a spur of the moment thing. I respect that. Yeah. I respect. Well, I did, I did pay for half the trip. You know, I, I won some money at the craps tables, but that's not good. enough to, to justify the, 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 the dumb expense. The only other thing that people would say would be dumb would be like, you know, when I was broke and, and making under 40K a year living in the San Francisco Bay Area would be oh to gosh. save up my money to go to like a, a three Michelin starred restaurant. Like I, I, I love food and a lot of people that don't see spending, you know, hundreds of dollars when you're broke most of the time. But I'd save up. I'd save up. I'd, yeah. I'd pinch my pennies just to justify going to an, a really awesome dinner to, to kind of spoil myself and my senses. Well, I imagine under 40K in San Francisco doesn't go far at all, right? Oh, I would be broke at the end of every month, like yeah. in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, that's ridiculous. So before we started recording, we were talking about um, people looking at titles when it comes to recruiting. So we're in the international space. You're in the domestic space. We talked about how your head of marketing used to be the head of marketing for the Titans was poached, not poached, I guess, but found by a trainee. 
So what, what is this story that you were going to tell before we started recording about that? So, so, and it was also, you had mentioned, you know, culture is pretty, you know, pretty important to, to how you and, and you operate. And what, and the interesting thing there is um, we don't just look at titles. We look at experience. We look at culture fit. We look at skill set. Um, and so we do, yes, we do culture um, or we do title searches, mm-hmm. you know, so we look for people with the right title. But that's not going to necessarily get you everyone. Titles can be, you know, can vary from one company to the next and, you know, one geographic region to the next. You know, like managing director overseas is like CEO in the United States. But here, director is junior. So we don't just uh, rely on that. And so one of the things that we we really kind of hone in on is making sure that you are running an iterative research process, that you are... You know, yes, do title searches, do keyword searches, you know, because you're not necessarily going to find, you know, everyone in, in LinkedIn. You're not going to find everyone right. using a Google search or seek out or hire tool, all those different resources. And so you've got to be creative. And one of the things that we we have something called that we call the diamond recruiting process. And it's, you know, start focused, you know, look for all the keywords, put them you know, like all into the search string and then remove the ones that are that you can screen more easily for. Yep. And expand your candidate pool. And at a certain point, you hit that inflection point and you come down to that button, the seat, you know, you're that candidate that, that ultimately gets placed. And we use um, uh, calibration and collaboration as that top part of that diamond shaped uh, recruitment process. Um, you know, and then we have candidates and culture in the evaluation phase. So you have the engagement phase, the evaluation phase. So you can't get to candidates and evaluate culture unless you collaborate and calibrate yeah. in the search process. Yeah, I think that's huge. So, so essentially what you're doing is finding somebody who could fit that particular role. And then it comes down to culture fit. Do they, are they a good person? Do they have the character? Is that kind of what, you're, what you guys are doing? Yeah, well, I mean, some of our, you know, that's important to some of our clients. You know, right. some of our clients are, you know, have, have very competitive environments. And we have to know that up front. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's toxic or anything like that, but not right. everybody wants to go into a competitive environment. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So like the way we do, we, we look at character first and foremost, culture, fit. the international space. Mm-hmm. We understand that the skill is there. And when people are looking for international, we source out of the Philippines. So it's, it's cheaper than we can get domestically. So people understand that, but we understand that if someone's on a good culture fit, that does increase turnover to a degree um, because this person either doesn't fit within the culture or the company that they're working for just doesn't like the person. And I think they have to vibe well. So like, what, what is y'all's process? Do, do you guys have an extensive conversations between said candidate and clients to make sure that they actually vibe well with one another? Well, we, it starts with us first. So, gotcha. and, and it actually goes down to how we hire. We look for empathetic people. We look for people who can quickly identify, you know, you know, the personality traits of, of a company and, and the people that they're interacting with right. to, to, so that we can just kind of figure out, well, one, how are we vibing with our client? How are we vibe? How are the, the candidates we're sub, sub, you know, um, submitting for interviews? How are they vibing? And that's where that calibration comes in, right. getting that feedback. How did this candidate vibe with, with you? We don't use that word, but we like, you know, ask how did the interaction go? Um, I think vibe is like your generation. 
Uh, it is my generation. Not mine. Um, and so, so what we, we were constantly asking those questions so that every time we submit a candidate, we're getting better and better at gauging, yeah. you know, what's important to the client, but also what's important to the candidate. And so we're listening to the candidates, we're listening to the hiring managers and, and all the interviewers to gauge that culture fit so that any successive candidate that we put through, they're just going to be, they're going to be spot on to the culture. They're going to be spot on to the experiences and the priorities. Chris, how do y'all handle, I guess, what the client would call a poor placement where it doesn't work out? Well, we, we, we work by the hour. So we, we don't have, we don't have guarantees in place okay. because we don't do, we, we are more like an in-house recruiting team. Gotcha. And so you don't penalize your in-house recruiters. You don't dock their pay because of a bad placement. Right. What we, we try to do is, and, and, and in some instances, you know, we do have that happen where somebody leaves within three to six months. It's very rare you know, yeah. because we're, because of the way that we operate, we're part of the in-house team. So we're getting embedded into the company's culture. We are getting exposed to those things. So we are, you know, less likely, I mean, not knock wood, but less likely to, to have a bad placement because of the way that we operate. But when it does happen, it's typically because there was something we missed with the candidate. There was some information that wasn't provided by the client. It's very rare though. It's very rare. Something that always interests me, and I think in the staff and recruiting world, we, we could probably agree, maybe you have a different opinion of it, but the biggest problem is turnover. People leaving, people quitting, people getting fired. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. I think that's just part of business in general. But in, from your perspective, being in recruiting for as long as you've been in it, how do companies reduce turnover internally? Good question. Oh, this is this is this is a this is a this is a very very good topic to to bring up, especially today with the the whole great resignation. Yeah, and we have you know we've one of the things that we did very early on at IQ Talent, um, and we recommend all startups do this: define the culture, define the mission. Um, and that helps and, and have the early employees be a part of that discussion, yep. be a part of that mm -hmm. definition, because they're also our recruiters uh, and, and referrals. And so we will, you know, by, def by doing that, that exercise of, of defining who you really are and who you want to be over time, it just makes it easier for us um, to, to get that mission. And um, you know, defined. Hey, it makes work. it easier. Oh, then, sorry, I had to close a message. I, I closed Teams, but it's still putting up those damn notifications. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, and so, one of the other things that we do, and, and now it's it's we try to listen to our employees a lot, and and get their feedback, and make sure that their priorities are communicated to us, so that we mm -hmm. can you know, make changes. You know, the, the way we operate today is very different than the way we operated in 2012. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, especially here in Nashville. And so we, we, we try to listen to them. And, and when we don't, that we, when we don't, we want to be called on it. And we do, it's a, we have an open door policy and you can message us and talk to us and tell us we screwed up and, you know, we try to adapt and, and make those changes. And I think that's, that's kept us from, you know, um, having, you know, the industry level turnover, which is going to happen. I mean, you're going to have right. turnover. It's, it's, it's something we would take personally 
you know, it's like, oh, you're leaving us, you're breaking up with us. So you're, you know, it's like, you're part of the family. You don't leave the family. But we've also had a lot of people like leave and come back. So we've had a lot of boomerangs. And, and that, that to me says we've built a, a great culture, even though we might have people leave. Um, we do have a lot of people that come back. And some people who have left us for other companies, they're now our clients. And, and so again, yeah. that's part of what we've done. And I think all companies should be focused on that. You know, what's the culture you're building? What's going to attract people? What's going to retain people? Um, and it's going to be different from one company to the next. But empathy, empathy and respect um, are, are two of those cornerstones that every company should have. Chris, do you all work closely with the company to implement the employees or process implementation or creation, anything like that? If our clients ask, um, we, we assist. Um, today, we have 140 different clients, um, everything from early stage companies all the way up to you know Fortune 100 multinational corporations. Um, and so, you know, it's very different cultures, very different, you know, sizes. Some companies have process, some don't. Mm -hmm. But what we do is we bring, you know, the sourcing process, um, you know, and, and a lot of times our company, our clients don't have sourcers. They have full lifecycle recruiters. Um, and so we help them define the sourcing process. And, you know, even our recruiters, you know, if they ask us for our opinions, we will provide it. Yeah. Um, but otherwise we try to adapt to the client's processes and if it's not working, we will point out, you know, little things here and there and, you know, help to, to, to tweak the process. Um, but we try not to be the bull in the China shop. You know, we try to adapt to our clients and, and if there's some openness to improve things, we're right there to help. Follow Going back to, to culture, go ahead, trust us follow up. Real quick, f follow up on that is, do you ever find that the clients that may be not as organized uh, in, in their with their processes or don't currently have everything built out, have a lower success rate than the companies that do have the SOPs in place? It can, it, yes and no. And, and you're, you're probably going to be surprised by the answer. A lack of process can cause candidates to drop out over process, you know, over-engineered process can cause candidates to fall out. I agree with that. And so, but, and so that's, that, that's where this collaboration that, that I was mentioning earlier comes in. We recently had a client that was, you know, like all gung-ho. We finally were, it took us about a week, week and a half to get a pipeline of candidates going. And then we submitted five candidates and all five were accepted by the client. They, the, the client wanted to talk to the, all five, like, and this was a brand new person, right out of a brand new sourcer, right out of training, and he was batting a thousand. And all of a sudden, dark. We got everyone's availability, so we pinged somebody else at the client. You know, hey, can you poke the hiring manager a little bit? And then we got a message from another person saying, hey, we'll take care of it. We're like, she's like so excited about one of the clients. Like, I know this person, and then uh, nothing. And that person took a job another job saying, Hey, you know, I was really, you know, uh, I hadn't heard back. So I ended up taking another job. And so we've communicated that to the client. And the next thing you know, the other four candidates were scheduled. We had two other candidates we submitted. So sometimes the lack of process can, you know, you, something negative happens. You communicate that to the client. And the next thing you know, they are moving. Yeah. Yeah. And I can that see process that. happens. 
Yeah, I can see that. No, I, I think it's like, it's that fine line between having a direct path of how you want things to happen versus keeping people in a box. I think people want to be creative, but they also want a direction with that creativity, if that makes sense. Yeah. And this, this is a, you know, a startup within a bigger company and, yep. and they're busy and they're trying to, to build their client base and they're trying to do sales at the same time. They're trying to grow the firm, but we help them understand that, Hey, you've got to be very responsive to these yeah. candidates. And over time, they'll help you. Like, the sooner we can get them in there to interview, the sooner they can start and the sooner they can take over some of the stuff that you're doing on your own. So sometimes yeah. you, you have to have a negative thing happen and communicate it in a uh, non-confrontational way, which is how we did it. Yeah. Go, going back to culture. So I, I think a big belief in the marketplace, especially with this great resignation, right? It's all about I'm leaving because I'm not paid enough. That's I, not always the case, but it's um, not always the case, oh, right? Yeah. I, I believe that if you make a million dollars a day, but you hate every second of your day, you will find another job, mm-hmm. right? So do you find that financial, I guess, freedom means more to candidates or is it more like, hey, I just want to feel part of a team and contribute my skill sets to this company? Um, it's, I, I do think pay is part of it. I think financial aspects, you know, do play, play a part. Culture plays a part, but I also think, and, and this has been an example of some of our, you know, like we were somebody, some of these people's first job and they gotcha. don't know anything else. And, and, and so they're, they're, you know, they put their toe in the water, have some conversations and we've had some of those people it's just not worked out and they've come back. So, you know, it's, it was, it was just like, I want to, you know, it's, it's not you, it's me. I want to date someone else and, right. and, you know, kind of thing. And, and so um, I do think that there's, there's multiple things there. Um, so what, you know, one of the things that we're, we've, we've had to look at compensation and, and do compensation reviews. We've had to make sure that we are, you know, taking people's career paths in mind and, and doing what we need to do to, to make sure that it's, it's clearly communicated uh, to us and also commu- clearly communicated the timeline for them. So you can't leave open-ended stuff, you know, hanging out out there. Right. Um, but also asking for transparency as a company, you know, we've asked our team like, Hey, you, you, if you're, if there's anything going on, if there's anything wrong, go to your practice leader, go to your account manager. If we, we want to fix it. And so we're, we're trying to shore up the, you know, the, the issues that people may be having that may cause them to, to look outside. Chris, what, um, what industries are you, are y'all most focused in or do y'all do? Um, Well, we don't, we don't do every, like everything. Um, but we do a lot of things. A lot of what we do, it's, you know, early stage, you know, series A, series B, um, you know, SaaS software startups, engineers, go-to-market roles. Um, that might be about 50% of our business, you know, Bay Area based. But then we also have, you know, Beckman Coulter, Danaher. These are great companies. They're well, Beckman Coulter is a division of Danaher. Um, so we have medical device, we have, you know, AI enabled, you know, biopharma, biotech clients, um, industrial companies like Southwire. That is a phenomenal client. They are so great um, at, at hiring and, and creating a, a phenomenal experience for candidates and our, and our team 
we work with some of the larger software companies, you know, um, and, um, but the, 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 the great thing about what we do is we train our team to be generalists. Uh, we treat, teach good process. We, we, we teach, we, we, we look for creativity. And so we can drop our team, you know, into just about any situation and they'll source circles around, you know, well, the, the, the solution. Yeah. T- tell me about, I'm on your website right now, IQ talent exchange. So what, what is this exactly? So it's a, it's a, it's a homegrown. Um, we've, we've built some homegrown technology um, behind the scenes uh, to, to manage our searches um, off the shelf stuff just wasn't working. We tried it, didn't work. So we, we, we built out our, you know, we built out a tech team um, and it's a search, it, it's a search management tool. It's where we keep track of it's, it's kind of a, think of it as a CRM, but we, uh, and we have, but we're, we're about to launch the ability to do outreach campaigns. So we're about to make it a full CRM. Um, but um, one of the things that the, we, we saw that we could do is client delivery through the, this platform. And so IQTX, it's just like you would um, uh, manage and, you know, use our professional services by the hour uh, and on demand. This is a flat rate research project. You come in, buy some credits uh, using your credit card. Um, we can't arrange for, you know, P, you know, doing POs and, and invoices, but typically it's uh, they come in, put in their spec, the researcher reaches out, uh, does an intake, sends calibration profiles to make sure we understood everything. And within three to five business days, we're leveraging our AI uh, infrastructure, uh, other tools to make sure that we are you know, identifying and building out a really targeted list of candidates hmm. and ranked and curated. Yeah. So, so ranking. So is there a scoring mechanism to it as well? Yes. And that's all taken care of through the, um, uh, the kickoff call we define okay. for the client with the client, um, you know, what, what the different rankings mean. And we, what's interesting here is we, we started talking with clients about using stars and, you know, like the star ranking, but everyone just assumed a one star ranking was a bad candidate. And what it means really is it, we don't know very, we, we know very little, we know name, title, <laughs> company, that's in geography, that's it. And, and so, but, and so we've switched to diamonds because any other ranking system, you know, five means awesome. One means crap. Right. And so we moved to diamonds because still one diamond is still pretty. Yeah. One diamond is still awesome, right? <laughs> so we have five diamonds, which is our diamond candidate. These, this, this is a candidate that has 90 to 100% of what you're looking for. Uh, four diamonds might mean you might have to ask a question or two, uh, but they have most of what you're looking for. And then three might mean tangential. You know, we, we define with the client what each, each level means. And then we have notes associated with it. And so the client is actually, a lot of these AI-enabled tools they just spit out a whole list. There's and 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 it's not really ranked. It's not curated. There's no quality control. We are making sure that the candidates are defined correctly, so that there's a there's a tech component and a human component. AI is still not perfect. AI, right. Could it be sometime? Yeah, but not right now. It's it's not perfect, and um, so we still have that human human level uh, of interaction there. Talk to us about the troubles when doing a homegrown software, as you said, because I know software can be kind of challenging. Actually, um, the problems weren't probably really on our side. It was on the tech side. They had, you know, 
at the time when, when our, our tech team got started, when John came on as our director of technology, um, he had, you know, over a hundred, you know, about a hundred people with very strong opinions of what the software should be like. So oh, yeah. there was, you know, a lot of product managers asking the, the engineers, do this, do that. Um, but, um, uh, you know, all jokes aside, the, the process has been really solid. And, and recently we were acquired um, uh, by Caldwell Partners out of Canada, public wow. company out of awesome. Canada. Yeah. And they, they allowed us to beef up our tech team. And now things are just moving and grooving. We have, pro- we have two of our, um, two of our you know, best sourcers that have used a lot of great resources serving as product management um, and our tech team. And, and it's just making things move that, that much more smoothly. Um, so is, is this like a, a lower ticket offer than having you and your team come out? Or is it a, uh, does it work in, in junction with your team to do the staffing? So it used to be that we had spreadsheets, you know, for every client to, to track where candidates were because we, we just, we, there was no software that we could purchase yep. that, that would fit the bill. And this just replaces the soft replaces that. Um, and we also did some other little added, you know, little bells and whistles here and there. And, you know, it adds contact information, phone numbers, email, personal and professional. So it's, it's, it does um, help manage the searches. It helps us communicate. And we can do it in real time. It helps us communicate the metrics. You know, how many people have been identified, contacted, who's been interested, who's not, um, you know, who's uh, been submitted and where they are in the process. Because we do have full lifecycle recruiters. So we have researchers that just do name gen. We have sourcers that do the research and the initial outreach and pre-screen. And we have recruiters that have to manage the whole process. And our sourcers are also getting feedback from the client's recruiters you know, where are people in the process so that we can track them. And so we can give our clients, you know, real time metrics. So that's something that spreadsheets used to do, but now it's all, it's, it's much more easily managed in the system. Um, and then um, it also, you know, we're, we're adding in all these extra functionalities that allow for, you know, to speed up the process. We may be billable hours, but we're, we work to become more and more efficient um, you know, um, have a greater sense of urgency, et cetera. Um, and we do that through the system. Love that. So I'm, I'm always interested to, to ask co-founders this because we were talking before and you're talking about how, you know, Halloween is your daughter's favorite holiday and you're obviously a dad and you have a family, but you're also a co-founder of a growing company. Balance. Um, I'm a big believer that work-life balance sometimes doesn't exist because it's a lot of give and take. It's almost like work-life harmony where the two ha- kind of have to coexist. So how do you deal with that on a weekly basis of being present professionally, but also being present personally? <laughs> you forgot to add in. I'm also the husband of a badass doctor. Oh yeah. I forgot um, about that. He- hematologist, so, which is. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and the thing is a lot of times, you know, yes, I have to work nights sometimes, but I try to work if I'm working late, it's after my daughter and my wife have gone to bed. Uh, luckily for me, my wife goes to bed about nine, nine 30, you know, you know, our daughter is asleep by eight, eight 30. So, you know, I have, you know, three hour window in the evening, you know, to get caught up on things that I might need to get caught up on. But just to give you some insight, I've also, I'm also a big believer in, if you know what you're good at and you know what you're not good at and you surround yourself with the people and you trust the people around you, um, there's a lot less to, to worry about. 
Right. Because, you know, my, my business partner, my co-founder, you know, Tom Millick, you know, we met freshman year at college. He's a boring finance guy. He likes numbers. You know, I have no patience for that crap. Um, but I, I, when I, when I decided to, to start my, hang my own shingle after getting laid off from, from Yahoo, I, I turned my four months of severance. We you've set up a website, set up the business. I called Tom up and I said, Hey, you know, will you be my grown up?" And so the two of us, I taught him a little bit of, I, I trained him on how to do recruiting because we still had to do, you know, do that. Um, but then, you know, knowing what also to, to offload and when it was time, yeah. hired a researcher, handed him all the research that, that needed to get done. And then it freed me up to do more business development, which then required us to buy, to hire another, rec- another researcher. And so it's just knowing at that inflection point, when is it time to, to, to bite the bullet and hire someone uh, and then hire another person? Um, and then also when it, when it comes to the personal stuff is making sure that, you know, there are the, the pri- your priorities are defined um, and making sure that you hit those metrics and hit those things. Yep. Um, you know, for my, you know, my wife, she would be, you know, when our daughter was born, you know, I worked out of our garage and our, you know, our daughter would wake up 30 minutes after my wife left to go to work. I'd have to get her up, get her fed, get her dressed, get her to the, day, you know, to the daycare. Um, and then pick her up, uh, go to the grocery store, cook dinner, and then my wife would come home. Oh. And, and, and so, you know, and then she'd have to be on call and there, that, that makes it difficult. Um, but the balance is, you know, knowing, you know, saying, Hey, I'm unable to do it. You know, say, knowing when to say no to something mm-hmm. or delegate and trust, yep. um, that somebody else, you know, is going to be able to take care of it. And so that's something we have pushed, you know, we, we, we push our flexibility. It doesn't mean you get to pick and choose, you know, everything. You can't just drop everything at the drop of a hat. We have right. to still take care of our clients, but if somebody needs to, to work from home to, to take their kids to the doctor, fine. Your kids are stuck. You know, kids, uh, school got canceled or, or your kids are sick. Stay home, work from home. Um, but if you're unable to get your, you know, get your, you get your tasks done, let someone know so that we can help you find someone that, to take care of it. And that's also, it's, it's hard sometimes to say, I can't. Um, and, and, and and it's sometimes it's really hard to ask for help and that's what you have to do to make sure that you're maintaining your balance. Yep. No, I I think it comes down to, to one, dropping your ego, knowing that you can't do everything, knowing Mm -hmm. when to say no, communicating when you have to say no exclusively, Hey, I can't do it. Knowing your priorities is huge. I think, um, as business owners, it's really easy to get those cloudy because honestly, right. At some times of the certain times of the day, like business is more important. Certain times of the day, family is more important. So it's almost like you have this overarching umbrella of priorities, but then during the day, you have like this, this micro umbrella of priorities of, hey, what's important to me right now? Because that's all I can focus on at the given moment. But I think above all else, it's it's under, I think it's being self-aware of where you're putting your time. 100%. Saying like, hey, I worked late every single night this week. Like I'm going to spend the Saturday with my family because I need to do that for me and for them. And I think that's, that's a skill that you can't read about this. You can't just learn about it. You have to do it. You have to just mm-hmm. get good at being self-aware and knowing when to be some places and when to not be other places. Yeah. It's, it's just the same thing as, is knowing what you're good at and what you're not good at. Yep. I mean, it's all that, that self-awareness, you know, it, it ultimately keeps you healthy. Um, oh, I agree. I agree. 
it keeps you healthy. And my, you know, and, and one of the reasons why we left, you know, my wife loved her job at, at, at you know, back in, in California. But when, you know, when she took a step back and, and realized that, you know, she was not, she only got an hour, hour and a half with our daughter when we made the move, you know, here to Nashville, um, she, we would drive to school together. Like we would drop Ella off together. I would go around the block and I drop my wife off and I'd go downtown to the office. And so all of a sudden, you know, my wife got three hours back because it would take her an hour and a half to get to work, an hour and a half to get home. Yeah. And, and so now she has three more hours a day with us. In fact, she jokes, I didn't know what to talk about with my husband while he was cooking dinner. <laughs> you know, she often it's says that it's like, it's like, I don't know what to like, what do we talk about? It's like, you know, uh, what's that? Um, what's it? Ricky Bobby. He's like, I don't know what to do with my hands while yeah. he's being interviewed. <laughs> and it's like, my wife didn't know what to talk about with me while I was cooking. Cause she just like, she would come home and literally dinner would be ready and we'd yeah. sit down and then she would put our daughter to bed. And that's actually one of the things that um, I would love to be part of putting my daughter to bed, but that's not my role. It became, it became my wife's job Yep, because that's the time that they really got together. And so I might put Ella to bed and then the next thing you know, she goes, okay, second bedtime. And then she's like, go get mom. Because that's, that was what, you know, that was a sacrifice I had to make yep. very early on because that's the, that was the only time that my wife got with our daughter. Yeah. Monday through Friday. Me, me and my wife have a similar routine where, you know, she'll usually, well, she'll usually cook dinner. I'll, sometimes I'll help. I'll clean the kitchen because sometimes it's, for some reason it's always a disaster after you cook a meal. And then I'll, while I'm cleaning the kitchen, she'll bathe our son. And then we both kind of go to bed together, but it's a routine. And I think it's just, all, it comes down to communicating, knowing, Hey, where I have to give and where I have to take. And mm -hmm. I think that's the recipe for a good work-life harmony. But Chris, as, as we close up, I think we've talked about a lot, not only about your experience, but just uh, the dynamic of being a data husband and a business owner. But the final question is today with 2021 heading into 2022, how are you making sure that IQ Talent Partners is bulletproof? It's never going to be bulletproof. It's never going to be bulletproof. No business is ever bulletproof. That is perfection. Like that's, you know, and it's, and it's one of the things, and this is, this is actually probably one of the, this will, when you have a client that has an aspect of their culture that, you know, as a recruiter, as a recruiter, you know, we have all these different clients. One of the things that we learned from Danaher was that no matter how great things are going, always look for ways to improve. They follow the Kaizen principles. Yep. And so we're just always trying, we, we have to adapt. Our business model initially started off as flat rate research. Then we morphed into uh, being a full fee retained search firm for a little while. Um we listened to our clients and then we started asking questions and we started noticing things. And so we became the, we started doing billable hours on demand, uh, augment flexible augmentation of your in-house recruitment team um, because we listened to our clients. And then we found little ways to tweak this, to make it better for our clients, make it better for our candidates, make it better for our, you know, employees. And as we grow, we get new problems. As we've grown, we have, almost, we have over 100, we had 150 people in the firm pre-COVID. We have almost 350 people in the firm, contractors and employees. Wow. That kind of growth 
brings a whole new set of pro- problems yeah. we would never have expected to have back in 2014, 2013, yeah. when we came up with this model. So the way you, the you, I don't focus on uh, being bulletproof or perfect. I focus on being resilient and adaptive um, and proactive. And you still have to be reactive. But if you focus on those first three things, you become more resistant to bullshit. Yeah. So we're saying adaptive, resilient, and proactive is three things that every company needs to have in their arsenal. Okay. But then still having the ability to be reactive to stuff that you could not anticipate. Right. And, and so, um, and, and so those are the, those are the things that help you avoid the, the bullshit. I love it. I love it, Chris. Chris, I thank you so much for coming on the show. I think there's a ton of nuggets in here that, uh, the audience is going to pull from this, but if people want to reach out to you, how can they get in touch? I don't want to talk to people. Hey, I actually respect <laughs> uh, that no, answer. No, so, no, um, I am, I am an open networker. I believe in recruiting good karma. Um, so uh, you can track me down on LinkedIn. Um, I, if it's uh, you go to uh, linkedin.com slash N slash C Murdoch, C-M-U-R-D-O-C-K. Uh, send me a, a connection request. You can drop me an email at chris at iqtalentpartners.com. Um, I'm here to uh, talk to candidates. I'm here to talk to recruiters, other business owners, uh, you name it. I'm here. Love it. Yeah, guys, awesome. if you enjoyed the episode, find Chris on LinkedIn, track him down, hunt him down, let him know what you thought of it. And Chris, I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks for giving me an opportunity to hear myself talk. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bulletproof Business. We post new episodes every week, and we'd greatly appreciate it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.